What's up, y'all? I'm your host, JP Flores, and welcome to the second episode of From Where Does It Stem? That man is beautiful, I'm gonna say. She walked away through a cheap pack of cigarettes, hard liquor mixed with a bit of intellect, and all the boys they were saying they were into it. Such a pretty face. On the previous episode, I got to interview Brian and Evelyn about their struggles as BIPOC students in STEM. We also shared our loves for Harry Styles. On this episode, I had the amazing opportunity to interview Dr. Christopher Barnes and Dr. Naima Sharaf. They are both structural biologists and postdocs at Caltech, and starting next summer, they will be at Stanford University. I know I created this podcast to empower others, but this interview blessed me with my new role models and my new favorite scientists. I hope you all enjoy. Uh, up to you, who wants to go first? <laughs> Christopher Barnes wants to go first. <laughs> All right, so so my name is Dr. Christopher Barnes. I am a postdoc, actually a Hannah Gray Fellow at Caltech, where I study HIV and most recently SARS-CoV-2 uh, and understanding how antibodies respond to these viral infections. And the way I study this is through structural biology. And so and basically I'm looking at how these antibodies that are listed upon these infections interact with the viral proteins that cause the infections and how they might be able to neutralize those viruses and prevent you from spraying and, and, you know, and dying from these types of illnesses. So yeah, so generally speaking, I'm a structural biologist by training. I did my undergraduate at the University of North Carolina, followed by my doctorate at uh, University of Pittsburgh, you know, where I, again, worked in structural biology and biochemistry. Uh, fun fact, that's my fun fact. <laughs> yes, it gets everyone. That question gets everyone. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the fun fact that most people know about me is that, you know, as an undergraduate at North Carolina, I played football. I was on the varsity football team, played wide receiver, you know, for the four years as an undergraduate while also doing, you know, research. So, yeah. Very impressive. <laughs> Dr. Sharaf, want to go ahead? Uh, so right now I'm a postdoc in Doug Weiss's lab and I work on bacterial ABC transporters, which are membrane proteins involved in nutrient acquisition for gram-negative bacteria. And my particular focus is Neisseria meningitis. Uh, I'm also a structural biologist by training. So here I leverage tools such as X-ray crystallography and cryo-EM and NMR to understand how these things look and how they function and how we can leverage them to design um, novel therapies. So um, I'm also, I met Christopher Barnes at UNC Chapel Hill, so I did my undergrad there. Uh, and then a PhD, my doctoral work at University of Pittsburgh uh, with Dr. Angela Gronenborn. And um, a fun fact about me is I've lived in many places, I guess. So I was born in Ecuador. I've lived in Australia and several states. Very cool. And just, just um, it's funny because when I was putting this together, uh, Dr. Barnes was like, "Yeah, and you can interview my wife too." And he gave like a little background, and I was like, "Man, this is this is a power couple. Like this, <laughs> this is so funny." <laughs> but I think it's really interesting how you two met at uh, UNC. I totally thought this was like a y'all met at. Caltech is postdoc, so um, oh, yeah. we can we can talk about that. I've known her for uh, <laughs> thirteen years now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. 
Um, yeah, we'll talk about the Taylor Swift love story in a little bit. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess my first question is, what were your upbringings like, right? Like, why are you the way that you are? Uh, Dr. Barnes, I know that uh, Dr. Michael Johnson at the U of A said you're an athlete, like you said. Um, and I can definitely relate to all those struggles. Um, you also said in your NSERP talk that your undergrad GPA was, was rather low. Um, and Dr. Trapp, I realize that you are very well traveled. Um, you probably have a lot of stories to share on your own, but can y'all talk about that? Maybe take a, take a trip down uh, memory lane. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, my background, you know, I grew up outside of Charlotte with both my parents and I have an older brother and an older sister. So I'm the youngest of my siblings. And, you know, education was always important in our family. So my dad uh, was an athlete as well. He played basketball in college and, and uh, semi-pro. And then, you know, so we had these, these athletic gifts and so all of us, you know, play sports throughout. But, you know, while that was important to our upbringing, you know, education was the most adamant thing in our household. And my mom fought for us, you know, in schools every single day to make sure we were getting the same education and the education we deserved. You know, having parents that grew up in segregated South, you know, that was really important to them to make sure that our, our education was, you know, valued. And so, I mean, that, that instilled the principles in me you know, growing up to, to really focus on education. And so, you know, I, I love science as a kid. I love uh, math as a kid. You know, I had, you know, many instruments of telescopes and microscopes and, you know, growing up uh, to explore the world around me. I, you know, I became involved in, you know, the science clubs in middle school and high school, doing science Olympiad, things like that. So, yeah, so, I mean, I think it was always there for me. The curiosity was always there. And so, you know, as I got older and, you know, began to develop as an athlete, then, you know, that side of my life also kicked off. But I always remembered that, you know, academics was going to be the key. Uh, and I knew going into, you know, into football at UNC, you know, they tell you that, you know, this is your time here will be longer than any time you'll ever spend as a professional on average, right? And that the average football player, maybe if you make it to the pros, you lasting three years. So what do you do after that, right? So... So I always had that in mind. So I, at first I wanted to become a doctor, um, not really knowing what a PhD was. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. It's like, you know, when we hear the word doctor, you usually recognize it as an MD, right? A medical doctor, and not so much as a researcher. And so I went into college with the same aspirations of becoming an MD, not knowing, you know, that there's another side of doctor that allows you to do the research that addresses the challenges and, you know, our first, my first anyway, advisor really instilled that into me. He was like, you know, why, why run a routine when you can, you can, you can cure it, right? Why, why just follow a procedure when you can actually be the one to design the drugs that the doctors prescribe or, you know, design the vaccine that's going to be delivered uh, by those doctors, right? So, so that, you know, really, you know, you know, really launched my career in towards science is that, you know, initial undergraduate training. Uh, at UNC with Gary Pilek. Uh He really, you know, changed my mind on what it meant to be a scientist and how, how to get there. So, yeah, so, I mean, it wasn't because of him, I wouldn't be here. So, yeah, I mean, he's really the one that set me on this path. That's awesome. Um, Dr. Sharaf, do you want to share yours? Yeah, so mine is actually quite different. So for me, I grew up in a family with three other siblings, two older sisters and a younger brother. And my parents um, moved here. So my parent, my dad is from Afghanistan and my mom is from Ecuador. They like met in Russia. So we moved in a bunch of places and we were following my mom's career. She's also a scientist, more on the computational side. 
But when we moved to the United States, we had no concept of what it means to have, be it, have, take the SAT and how that relates to your future. Uh, no idea you know, that you had to apply. For me, I had no idea you had to apply to colleges. I thought, assumed my whole life that you, know, you go from um, middle school to high school, then of course, naturally, then you go to college. It just seems to make sense. So no one instilled in me the importance of extracurricular activities, of grades, of like anything like that. But I think education was always emphasized. So you had to do well in school, but my mom never checked my grades. It was very independent. And so what I had to do is figure out what I needed. So I was like, I need a test. I need to write an essay. What is an essay? And you know, the reason I found out that I had to apply to college is someone asked me, did you apply to college? And I said, no, why would I? Like, I thought I was just going. And they're like, no, no, you have to apply. So then I just started applying. And so I think for my whole career, um, there's never been a road that someone has shown me that there is a path that you should take. And it really has instilled in me an independence of trying to figure out what I can and cannot do, because it's not always clear, because you don't even know that these jobs exist. And so I came into University of Massachusetts as a pre-med major. And you know, and the first things they did is scare you. They're like, don't, you know, if you choose to take this math, this is really hard math. Like, this is only for pre-med majors. And I was like, well, you're gonna be taking homework the whole time. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want that. So I took another math and it ended up being like the wrong math. And so I think, you know, one of the challenges I had is, is people constantly like instilling some sort of fear in you that like, oh, you know, this is not what you want. You know, maybe something easier might be better for you. And then realizing, you know, no, I, I can do more. You know, I, I can be more. And what about all these other careers that I hadn't even a clue about, you know? So that's how I also got into research. You know, I learned that you could, you know, do research and get um, some sort of stipend and that after school you can become a technician. And that also has, you know, kind of a, a financial component. And these are things that people don't tell you. and. For example, for a PhD in the sciences, at least, they give you a stipend that you can live off. And that there's some, in contrast to something like a medical school where you have to pay your way. So for me, it's always been an, an, an adventure to figure out what is out there and how can I position myself to leverage these things and not let people scare me into thinking that I can't do something. And I think this all goes down to how my upbringing was, which was very hands off. You know, it's like either you have to figure it out, otherwise you're not gonna make it. Um, and so I think I'm always looking for those opportunities I may have missed. And with that emphasis in education, it has allowed me to take advantage of some things you know that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, I mean, th thanks so much for sharing. Uh, I'm sorry about those negative experiences, but look at y'all now, right? <laughs> no, and, and to Another aspect of that is not also not knowing about the path. I think what's really important, you know, and you kind of hit on it and I hit on it in my talk was that, you know, there are multiple paths there, right? And so, you know, you both of us were in the same department, same degree. Neymar was the top of the class. I was the bottom of the class. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so. So cute. <laughs> yeah. But at the same day, you know, we're at the same place. Like we, I, you know, name of went this one path, which is, you know, oh yeah, 4.0 GPA, you know, apply to colleges and, and, you know, get in and everything like that. Whereas me, I was like, okay, well, I had a 2.5 GPA. How do I overcome this and, you know, apply to graduate programs 
and apply to these these different grants and things like that. So so yeah, I think the key is that there is no one path, and that you know you shouldn't your dream shouldn't be deterred just because it doesn't follow path A. There's multiple paths to get there, and I mean I think you know Namor was able to find it on our own. But for me, you know, because of my grades, I had to go reach out to people and say, hey, I still want to do this. So how do I shore up my, you know, bad grades, which the answer was, you know, do a master's, do a research technician position and show people that you can do the work, show people that you can do, be the scientist that you know you can be. And then with that, you'll you'll make it. So definitely. I think a lot of the things I said kind of was negative. But I think what was the positive thing that was in my life is the people willing to help me. So if I reached out for help, I always got help. So any of my undergrad professors, my terrific mentor, Gary Pilag, I had amazing people surrounding me when I was taking my PhD. You know, I ended up pregnant with the beginning of my degree. And so having, though, although there were challenges, there were always people there willing to help if I reached out. And yeah, hearing your stories, they, like you said, Dr. Barnes, they're not exactly the same. So I was wondering, if you don't mind me asking, how, how did y'all meet? You know, like, like Nema, like, why were you like, why am I hanging out with this dude? <laughs> Dr. Know, Barnes, you're like, how am I? <laughs> I mean, if you're writing a, a soap opera, then it's, then it's the classic, you know, jock <laughs> with the smart, smartest girl in the school. No, that's not true. <laughs> don't, 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 don't happen. We were in the same lab. That's what happened. It's like... We were, I was, I was into NMR and I applied to this lab and he just happened to be there. And you just spend a lot of time with somebody, you get to know them and like them, I think. Um, yeah, so I, I started in undergraduate research in Gary's lab uh, a year before Nema uh, joined the lab. So I was already in the lab and in the lab and then when Nema joined, yeah, we, I mean, undergraduates, we didn't have really any place to sit. So we were all hang out in the, either the conference room or whatever during lunch and so yeah, we just got to know each other. You know, we were also the same major, and same so we were major. taking similar classes. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, um, so I was just curious. I was like, huh, yeah. that, I wonder how that happened. That truly is like a Disney movie, right? We talked about like community and support, but I can't help thinking about the fact that you guys are, y'all are postdocs at Caltech with kids, right? And I'm sure it's hard navigating like, oh, I have to make sure that they're set for school before I can, you know, go back to work and work um, in, in labs. So wh what has that been like? How's Zoom University been for them? How have y'all been helping them? Are, are, also, are they excited for the move? Sometimes. Somewhat. Uh, I think, you know, <laughs> we, we're from North Carolina, at least I'm from North Carolina. So like we, we go back and visit my parents who still live in, in Charlotte, you know, at least once a year before COVID. And so, I mean, I think they kind of had the mindset of going to North Carolina, but now, you know, they were going to Stanford, you know, that's, they're, they're adjusting. <laughs> so they don't know that place yet, right? They don't know what it looks like up there. Um, but to your question, I mean, I think, you know, finding that help, which Neymar talked about, was really key for us uh, because we had both our kids in grad as graduate students. Um, and like Neymar said, she, you know, our oldest son who just turned 10 yesterday, okay. right, you know, was at the start of both of our graduate careers. Uh, and so how do you live in a city, you know, we were, you know, midway between her parents and my parents, you know, living in Pittsburgh. And it's like, you know, so we have no immediate family support around. So how do you navigate, you know, this with now a kid and you're trying to do a degree? And so, yeah, so I mean, I think that community and having parents and having friends around to say, hey, well, 
we need to you know do something in lab can you just come watch you know our son for a second or you know parents you know we don't have daycare for another eight months can you come you know live with us <laughs> which is what our parents did i mean our parents took turns thankfully and and were able to come and, and stay with us for months on end and and help us because yeah i mean it, navigating that was probably the most difficult aspect of definitely of graduate school when you're trying to do your degrees uh, and, and but part of that is having good mentors i mean we, we were blessed to have really two really good mentors that understood the challenges associated with parenthood and and really helped us out and didn't you know put more weight on us than they know we could take so i mean i think that that is really key uh when you're when you're thinking about choosing people that you want to work for as a graduate student as a postdoc uh, and now moving into our postdoc same way we, we have two great mentors that understand the challenges of being parents the challenges of being you know scientists in this type of workforce uh so yeah it's that's really you know important yeah i think you know to christopher's point you know one of the first challenges is daycare you know and then the first the person that I told was the daycare center when I was pregnant because I needed to enroll at six weeks because otherwise you don't get a spot. And so we didn't even get a spot till 18 months later. And so we had to really pay for kind of a, a more expensive daycare because we were just, we're not, we're on the wait list. Wait lists are years. And so, you know, finding out that you need to put yourself on a wait list, that, like, that's huge. No one tells you that. Yeah. And so then, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> you don't just take them okay so then um that was challenging and then you know okay and then as, as a woman you're like okay if i choose to breastfeed where am i going to breastfeed you know and you know pittsburgh had their breastfeeding um room in between a bridge which was great except in winter when there was no insulation so you're just freezing in there and so i talked to my mentor and she gave me her office and so i think having that support where someone can understand me like i can't pump in the middle of a cold bridge in winter and she and people around there would also give me their office and things you know i had support where where i needed it and i think also between us we also coordinate really well um, I think what we talk about is our needs. It's like, okay, well, I need to go in this day. Can you move your stuff around? Or do you need this? Let me move my stuff around. And so I think the ability to coordinate with each other has been really helpful and, and continues to this day. Um, you know, giving each other space to work in time or at home if need be. Yeah. And then on, and on top of that too, the financial support aspect of it, that was difficult. Uh, I mean, right, because even though you get the stipend and you don't have to pay for your schooling, uh, as graduate students, you know, the money is not high. Uh, and so again, you know, we were lucky uh, to have people around us to have the university daycare system say, hey, well, we understand that y'all are poor graduate students and y'all cannot probably afford, you know, two children in daycare, uh, right? So working out ways to, to help supplement, you know, the cost of daycare for us. And then even moving to our postdoc, you know, moving to certain areas, like we realized we couldn't do a postdoc in, you know, in, say in the Bay Area because of the price of living as well as the price of daycare. And so, I mean, that was actually a, a component, um, you know, that that I think people are beginning to realize and starting to address is like, you know, how do you raise a family when daycare costs, you know, one person's paycheck? And so as part of the fellowship that I have, I actually, you know, being one of the first to have kids uh, to win this award, you know, I really negotiated for them to say, hey, well, we have this expense funding. Like, can we use that expense funding for daycare costs because that's going to help benefit my science if i know i can have daycare cover for my child 
uh, and not have to worry about that. And so, I mean, I think people, you know, that was something that was major for us as well, uh, to have that extra financial support from, from my fellowship. And this is something that, you know, I've, I've negotiated and helped push further down, you know, for the other uh, graduate student fellows at HHMI, you know, to say that they can use their award money uh, towards their daycare, because that's, that's huge. And that's going to help you as a scientist and you as an individual, knowing that you had the financial means to, to, that your kid would be taken care of. And all the universities that we went to had these kind of policies. Um, and I think especially the University of Pittsburgh, you know, if we didn't have that program to help with some of the daycare expenses, it would just not have been financially feasible. Yeah, that's awesome. Just the fact that you have that familial support and your parents and um, institutional support as well. Uh, I, I'm a person that really relies on my peers. Did, did your peers have any play in this at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, so there was a um, postdoc in NAMA's lab who actually was in the same lab as us in Gary's lab at UNC. So uh, Lisa is her name. She, you know, she was our go-to uh, whenever we did need some help right away because we knew her for many years from our time at UNC. And so, yeah, so she was the closest to family we had in Pittsburgh while we were there. So, yeah, I mean, she, she definitely helped, you know, you know, during our second, you know, child's birth, you know, she was there uh, to take care, to look after our first one and say, hey, y'all. we didn't have family we, there. We didn't have family there. So it's like, how do you, how do you Give anticipate birth, birth of <laughs> you know, another child? Yeah, exactly. When your water is going to break, who's going to be on call, right? And so, yeah, so she was like right there for us to say, hey, well, y'all go to the hospital. I got Julius. Right. So, I mean, I think th those are some of the things that, you know, yeah, we definitely relied upon on a day-to-day -day basis to, to really help us. And even here, uh, we had a friend, Beth, who, who had kids, and then you just talk to them and they give you these, you know, ideas of what's available, you know, what programs do you qualify for, what is good with regards to activities for the kids. So having that community to uh, inform you of what is available, I think is really important. Definitely. So many questions just popped up in my head. And I'm just like, how in the world did they do this? First off, first off, y'all met at UNC, but you went to Pitt together and Caltech together. So I'm yeah. curious to see how that, that went. But also, we can also talk about, like, have you ever felt isolated as students of color in STEM? And do you have any advice for those that feel like they don't belong in STEM? But can we get the first question out of the way? Because I'm just like, how did, <laughs> how did that happen? It's like two plus two uh, plus five. I got <laughs> I so think here that's we great. are. I, I think that's a great answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the truthful answer. So yeah, I mean it's just just a matter of you know, Nema was a step ahead. So like I said, I had to do a master's to shore up my you know lower GPA to get me on the path to be able to apply to graduate school. So during my master's, Nema started at Pitt for her graduate training, right? And in between that time, yeah, we got pregnant with our first first kid. So it was like, okay, well, you know, if I wanted to go to other places, cause I mean, I'm, I'm a Southerner by, you know, in heart and I did not want to go up North. Like it's too cold for me. Um, so yeah, so I mean, but, but after that, then it was like, okay, no, then I need to go up. Now, now I have to go to Pitt, right? So, so yeah, so I mean, I think that's how, you know, we went and stepped in. So like I came to Pitt two years after name or a year and a half after name had already started Pitt to start you know, my graduate program. And then, yeah, then moving forward, I mean, now we have two kids after graduate school. And so it was, uh, it was, you know, finding two postdocs at the same university, you know, that, that was a challenge. Uh, and, you know, and that's something that we had to navigate, especially when, you know, one, a situation may be better for one and not the other, right? So trying to find a place where both situations were going to be good 
and allow us to be both successful, that was somewhat of a challenge. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, Caltech ended up being that place that we we both were able to grow as scientists. So that's that really worked out for us. And again, I mean, some of this is you know just opportunity and luck. I mean, it's just like you you we can't discount the fact that we are lucky uh, to have these opportunities show up. But once those opportunities do present themselves, you know, we really take took uh, took charge and and handled it. So yeah, yeah. And Caltech isn't a isn't exactly a bad place to be, you know. No. <laughs> no, it's, been, it's been great yeah being here at caltech i mean it's uh yeah a lot of the stuff that we've been able to accomplish i don't think we could have accomplished mm-hmm. at the yeah. other places we were considering so um and the two other questions have y'all ever felt isolated um in stem uh, undergrad postdoc now even and what I mean, would you think... say to those that do mm-hmm. okay. i mean i think you know i i i'm a bit of a, a mixed race child so i'm half afghan and half Ecuadorian, and so i've never really fit anywhere and so it was always kind of been just kind of the same feeling it's just okay i ha- I am part of this community but i'm not really one of them yet and then you know i moved to la and then i got the food i got the music and i was like oh this is great this is what i've been missing so i mean i think for me you know i've been able to kind of just fly under the radar most of my life and being i guess what people have named me racially ambiguous but I think it feels nice to come to California and feel home. And I think that's something that I've never really experienced. So sometimes, you know, you never really knew that you were missing something until you gained something. And I think one of the things that were was a bit challenging where I did feel a little bit different is being a young mom. You know, I think in academia, you look at moms who are a little bit older. And so when I would drop my kid off, people would thought I was the babysitter. So you have these older moms and I'm young, but I took that as, you know, a way for me to learn and to get advice from people um, that had life experience. So I think, you know, it's nice of kind of feeling home. It's interesting. Yeah. And for me, yeah, I definitely feel that isolation, you know, throughout even starting in high school, uh, you know, in middle school even. So, uh, you know, as, as a kid, right, I was in these, uh, in the International Baccalaureate program and these AP classes. Uh, which at my my school uh, growing up in high school, especially, you know, weren't filled with black kids. It was mostly all white kids, a few Asian kids that were taking these classes. So even at an early age, I was already kind of isolated within the classroom setting where I would be the only one, you know, that looked like me in those classes. Teachers, of course, don't look like you in those classes. And so, and again, talking about my mom fighting, you know, she, she fought to make sure that, you know, that I wasn't getting the short end of the stick and, you know, and discipline and all this kind of stuff just because of my skin tone growing up in the South. So, I mean, I think, you know, from an early age, I was aware of this isolation and, and this, you know, type of situation. I always was able to fall back on my friends and my teammates, right? They were more diverse. And so that was really my community. And so even in college, you know, I was, again, in classes where, you know, UNC is pretty diverse, or at least it was when we were there, you know, and that we had classes that, you know, had a mix of people. But as you got started getting to those upper level classes, you know, I began again to see that I was the only one in those classes that looked like me. Um, and again, you don't see teachers either. You don't see the professors that look like you. Uh, but I always fell back on, on my teammates, on my roommates. And so, right, so even though I felt isolated, I knew I had a community outside of the classroom so it was just like, okay, well, I'm gonna go to class, but then I'm gonna go hang out with my boys and I'm good. Um, but I think when I got to graduate school, uh, that's when it really hit home. Like, you know, going to Pitt into that community, and, you know, Pitt is a city college, or it's a college that's on the outskirts of Pittsburgh. 
Uh, so right in the city. And with any city, you have a dynamic of, you know, inner city, which is mostly where the Black and Latino uh, communities live, and then the outskirts uh, of the city where most of the white people live. And so we like, you live in the kind of the outskirts and, you know, so your neighbors are mostly white. You know, you're in a classroom environment, you're in a graduate program, you're in a med school, which is mostly white. I think I was the only of that entire umbrella program. I think I was the only black male in that program for three of the five years I was there. Uh, and then someone came in like towards the end of my career. So it was like there, you know, the isolation was was really hard because not only was I in an environment in a city that, you know, was segregated, I was in a in a workforce, in a program, uh, again, nothing bad about Pitt, but right, this is Midwestern, this is Eastern Pennsylvania or Western Pennsylvania. So the, the people in that program aren't necessarily the greatest <laughs> when it comes to racial issues, right? So you have that, you have the fact that you're the only black person, you don't have any black professors around you can go to during times of, you know, challenges. So like, you know, during, um, you know, our graduate program training, right? you know, some of these police involved shootings, um, you know, were really happening at that time. And so it was like, who do you turn to? It was very hard to turn to anyone. I mean, so my actual PhD mentor uh, is from Mexico, uh, Guillermo. And so he, he had kind of, you know, we could talk at least, at least a little bit about, you know, issues of discrimination uh, that he felt as a, you know, Mexican American growing up and, and training people at Pittsburgh. Uh, but again, it, was, it wasn't the same, you know, it wasn't the same, right? Uh, so yeah, so I mean, I think that that was a struggle for me, especially being so far away from family, now no longer associated with a football program and having, you know, friends nearby. Uh, so yeah, so it was a struggle. Uh, and it is a real struggle that you have to, you know, you have to navigate in these places and you, know, you try to find community within the cities you're going to be living in uh, as a graduate student, just to say, hey, you know, this is, you know, like name a found community here. It's like, you know, how can I find a community that's going to support me and help me feel like I'm not losing myself and my culture to a work environment that's not, you know, really looks like me, right? So, so yeah, so I mean, it is a challenge and I think we all find different ways to navigate those challenges. At the end of the day, one of my close friends from UNC ended up moving to Pittsburgh. And so like I had that friendship, uh, I had, you know, someone that I could turn to and we could go, you know, grab a drink just, you know, talk and just kind of vent, which really helped me. But again, you have to find that because, yeah, it is a real challenge to navigate these things. Dr. Barnes, Dr. Sharaf, I am an undergrad, as you know, who is about to apply to grad schools, right? And I hope you know that these stories and just being able to talk to y'all has really, like, inspired me, right? Like, I know it, I know it, that kind of feels weird for you to hear after hearing those stories, but for me, it's like, man, like, I, I just feel like I, I'm ready to kind of just enter the world of grad school and things like that, and I just, I'm, I'm excited to hear what other people have to say as well. Because after the first episode, I interviewed a, a, couple under, uh, a couple undergraduates from McAllister College and UC Davis. And I just kept getting messages like, I didn't know people felt like this too. You know, so it, it's, it's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, so I still have a couple more questions. <laughs> I wasn't, that wasn't a conclusion. That was not a <laughs> conclusion. <laughs> but how do y'all feel hearing that? You know, hearing that people are inspired, hearing that 
you are changing people's lives, right? That must feel good, right? Can you all talk about that a little bit maybe? I think for me, it's, you know, we've had so much help, you know, whether all the way from high school to postdoc. And it's the idea of then bringing, you know, taking charge and also bringing people up with you. And I think it's so, because we've had so much help, being able to um, kind of reach out to the younger generations and also show them a path or help them in any way that we can, I think is really uh, fulfilling. And I think it's, I mean, like I'm almost about to cry, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. You know, it's like, you know, that things that you have to say are can be useful and can empower younger generations, I think is really nice. But I think it's also something that kind of you feel, I feel like a moral obligation to do, you know. Um, I think people are so bright and that, you know, everybody should be given a chance. And so being able to help in any way I can is extremely important to me. And I think we look for that in the environments that we put ourselves in. Yeah, and no, I totally agree. I mean, hearing hearing that, you know, hearing that, you know, we're inspiring people to to maybe take that leap and, and take those risks to follow their dreams. I mean, I think that's really important. That's really important for me. So above all, like, I like science, but I like the mentoring aspect of it more. I like engaging with the students. I like, you know, helping those, the next generation behind me, uh, you know, come up. Because as Naima said, like, we want to bring up as many people as possible. Because, you know, you know I, I often struggled with the isolation and the feeling of, you know, why am I here if, you know, I have to deal with all this? And why do I have to deal with all this and 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 just for what like what am i doing this for uh and so it's like stories like these and i think namo really helped me see this is like you know someone has to kind of be the first to do this to help bring up the next and so i mean i, I really you know that really hit home as i you know start you know talking to people like i went to a conference earlier this year before COVID hit and it was like you know i went to this conference i was one of the speakers there was an invited speaker and immediately i had people come up and say hey that was great. It's finally nice to see someone like me on this stage giving a talk, right? Um, you know, I, of course, did things with uh, NSERP and other programs. It's like, you know, the same thing. It's like, you know, so nice to hear someone's story who's, you know, closely related to mine. And, you know, those types of stories actually motivate me to be the best that I can be and pave the way. And because I know, you know, some, as I was, you know, considering, as we were considering our two job offers, you know, to either go back home to UNC or, or go up to Stanford, you know, you know, one of the components I had in the back of my mind is like, who, where can I go that's going to make the biggest impact to really bring in the most people and help the most people, right? And I debated this for a long period of time. And it wasn't until, you know, I talked to a number of different people, but it was like, you know, your presence on that campus, if you go to Stanford, is really going to make a huge impact because, you know, how can you tell these undergraduates and these graduate students that they can aspire to be a professor uh, at a top institution, but yet at a top institution like Stanford, there are no professors that look like them, right? So how can you tell someone and there not be that representation? Like how's that, that's a conflicting message, right? So by just being there, you know, we're gonna make an impact. And I mean, I think that's something that I value more than the research, uh, to be honest. I mean, I really wanna make, you know, I got seven years of, <laughs> no, if I get tenure or not, I got seven years that I'll be on that campus, you know, as a researcher, as a teacher, the, and I'm gonna try to make a big impact in those seven years as I can. And then of course, if I get tenure, then I'm set up to continue to make that impact uh, long after. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's my motivation 
as I look to the next step in my career. Definitely. And I, I feel like I can relate to that as well. Definitely not the same thing, but I coach <laughs> nine-year-olds and 12-year-old baseball teams. Um, and I try to go and do community outreach at different elementary schools and things like that. So I, I'm just now realizing, man, this isn't going to stop once I graduate. You know, this is, this can keep going on in graduate school and you know, things like that. Um, but I, I am curious, how do y'all think we can kind of diversify STEM and implement full inclusion initiatives more formally, right? Mentor-mentee programs like NSERP did, or what else can we do? Because um, at Occidental, a couple of students and I are currently trying to change the bio curriculum as far as implementing social and racial uh, injustice issues, right? Um, the class that I'm in, uh, it's called Special Topics in Biology, inspired this podcast. So can y'all think of any ideas or more formal initiatives? now that you're at this point in your careers and experience so much? I mean, I think one of the things if you are doing kind of research in the, in the, in the lab is that you need to have research experience. I think people are always hesitant to give people a chance if they don't have you know, previous experience. And so formal programs that puts kids into labs, even for summers, is huge. Because then not only do you have that experience of whether you like that environment or not, but then you have a recommendation letter from a professor from a top tier institution. So if research isn't the thing for you, you still have that recommendation. And so having formal uh, opportunities for diverse group of people to be in lab settings, even if it's just for the summer, is huge. Yeah, and I think that's really, really key. Um, And I think research has shown that you know, minorities come in, you know, with the same aspirations to be research scientists as their white peers. Uh, but yet the retention rate for minorities is much, much lower. And so the question has always been, how do you maintain that higher retention rate? You know, so one is representation on campus, uh, you know, having PIs, having graduate students, having a diverse, you know, upper echelon of the university, you know, that looks more diverse is really important. Uh, and like here at Caltech, you know, that was sticking point for the graduate students here is like, you know, there's only 11 black graduate students in this entire campus, so, which makes up less than 1% of the graduate population, right? Uh, so who do they turn to when, you know, things like, you know, George Floyd, you know, happen? Like, who do these people turn to? Uh, so that representation at the top is really key. And so I think a lot of universities are now looking to do these cluster hires to, to really try to diversify the workforce. Uh, and so, I mean, I think that's a push by the university administration to, to make change. Uh, but to nameless point, you know, giving opportunity is the second part of it. And I think that's really, really important because the way all this works, I mean, as much as we hate to admit it, but there is, you know, there is a, there is an end club, right? There is a, there is a thing you have to navigate, you know, the, um, you have to navigate it, right? You have to navigate this, uh, what's the word? No, I can't think of the word. <laughs> well, just it's just easier, right? Like if you come from a top tier institution and you have that recommendation letter, that is going to be favored over someone yeah. in a smaller lab, you know, with a professor they don't know. And so giving students those recommendations and those opportunities will help them in the future. And I think that's kind of what they have to navigate is that, you know, those labs and those lab names matter sometimes. Yeah, and so, but yeah, and so a point that, you know, that I've been looking at, and then I think a lot of people uh, that I've talked to, you know, moving to Stanford, is how can we bring in people like yourself from smaller colleges that that might not be R1 institutes uh, to give them those research opportunities. 
And so, you know, this is something that I had proposed, you know, if we were going to UNC, just to reach out to the surrounding HBCUs uh, in that area, uh, right? To say there's qualified engineers, there's qualified scientists in these universities uh, that may need a, they need an opportunity to come to UNC, come to Duke, come to NC State, and show and get those recommendations that's going to allow them to to go into graduate programs, right? Uh, at the same time, it's going to help you as a mentor if you have a diverse lab space and you begin to learn about uh, you know, and see that these individuals can do the work because you might have your own implicit bias about, you know, certain individuals, but if you actually have them in your lab and you see what's happening, then that, that's really powerful. I think, you know, moving up to Stanford, you know, this is something they have in place uh, where they're going to try to reach out to the more local community, you know, in state schools in the area uh, and set it up with a program along with UC Berkeley, UCSF and Stanford to, you know, in, um, to bring in summer students from these, from these universities that might not have the usual opportunity to come to those, you know, you know, to do those types of research programs. So, I mean, I think that opportunity is something that we're gonna push for and we're gonna work for, uh, and not even just undergraduates, but also even high school students. It starts in high school. Which, uh, like, who knew, right? right? Who knew that you could just go to a lab? Nobody tells you that. Yeah, so it's like, you know, why not bring in, you know, one or two high school students from disenfranchised, you know, you know, schools and say, hey, you know, this is research. This is what you can do. Tell your friends about it, you know, you know, start pilot programs with um, like these private schools do around here and say, hey, you know, let's have a class where we're going to send this class into a research environment that allows them to begin to learn how to do STEM. And they get to go there and learn STEM at an early age. I mean, this is what other people are doing. So why not extend that offer to other places where the opportunity does not exist? So, so these are all things that are really important just to, to drive home. I'm definitely going to send this to my biology department. <laughs> They're going to be like, JT, you're back. What do you want? And I'm going to be like, listen, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. What do you um, use to kind of motivate yourselves on days where you find it hard to get things done, right? Uh, mental health-wise, you know, you're having a bad day. Um, just, just curious because I feel like a lot of students nowadays are hitting a wall, especially now during the pandemic. Um, people are feeling burnout. So what are little tips and tricks that uh, y'all can share and offer? Um, I think one of the things that I like to do at least is because, you know, I know, I know having a family is challenging, but I think you can also pull a lot of happiness from that, you know, when I'm having a tough day in lab, you know, at least my kid learned how to walk and he, you know, is talking, calling me mama. And so, and then sometimes the kids are tough. And so, hey, I ran a great gel. I got a great experiment. And I think finding different places to pull your happiness from, um, I think has been important for me. Um, really having, you know, I think sometimes it's, being motherhood is seen as a challenge and hard, but it could also be so beneficial because it shows you what's important. And you, um, you know, it's like, okay, this experiment didn't work. It's not the end of my, you know, like <laughs> I'm still living. I need to live and feed these children. So I think it gives you perspective and it allows you to um, work efficiently. And, you know, sometimes when that motherhood thing is just tough, you can pull from lab, you know, it's like wrote some great sentences right poster, like, you know, small things you can pull happiness from. Yeah, and I, and I second that. I mean, finding those small things to keep life in perspective is really important. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I have an attitude of trying to, well, I wouldn't say care, but, you know, try not to let things overwhelm you too much, right? You, 
you have to have that perspective, right? You know, small victory. Hey, I woke up and I got out of bed today. Victory, uh, right? That's, I mean, and that's, you know, it's kind of cliche, but it's true. Like you have to focus on those positives because if you just look at the negative, uh, the negatives overwhelm you. And that's how you hit these walls, uh, right? You go on Twitter today, you know, every other word is, oh my gosh, how awful, all this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if you stay there for an hour, that's just consuming you with negativity. Uh, and so sometimes you have to put social media away. You have to put that away. You have to go out, clear your head, take a walk, exercise. For me, you know, exercising is really key to my mental health and saying, hey, I need to go, you know, work off some stress. Uh, you know, I've always had with either football, but now as I got older, right, was weightlifting, was running, uh, you know, just to work out that stress. And and then again, just focus on those positives. And you know, again, the kids are are great because that puts things in perspective. They don't they don't care about what you're doing. They're like, <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> um, but so it's like you know, because at the end of the day, you know, science is a job. Hopefully, it's a job you will love. But it's a job, and with any job, there's going to be, you know, ask of you to, to do things, right? And so you're going to have to, oh, you just published this paper, great, on to the next one. Like, you know, you're going to find yourself sometimes in this environment where you're constantly pushing yourself, pushing, 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 and never enjoying those victories. And you can't do that, right? You have to take a step and say, hey, I just got this award. Or, hey, I just did a bomb job on this poster or on this exam. Like, I'm going to celebrate this. I'm going to take this weekend and say, I'm gonna enjoy this victory, right? And so you really have to just enjoy those victories. And remember that even small victories are victories because yeah, if you just focus on those negatives, it's gonna, it's not good for you. Definitely, thank you. All right, y'all ready for some uh, out-of-pocket JT questions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll start, I'll start off with an easier one, okay? What is the craziest thing you've done in the name of love? <laughs> 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 what did I do, name? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've done it in the name of love. I'm trying to think. Honestly, that's a that's a tough one. That <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking. I was. I was thinking of these questions, and I was like, they're not going to answer this right away. <laughs> they're going to have to think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and if you want I mean, your uh, kids to come on and say hi, they can too. <laughs> No, I mean, I guess we, I, to attract Nama, I. <laughs> what, are we like animal kingdom? What is this? No, but I'm saying like, I, I stayed in lab a lot more than I, <laughs> than I used to. Just to hang out with her, which I think That's was, <laughs> which is kind of silly because like, I didn't, I didn't really like being in the lab, but like, I liked her. So I was like, okay, I'm going I'm to show up in the lab and just hang out and That's try to get extra lab work. <laughs> Just so I could see her. Well, I used to work a lot. I used to work all the time. This is my favorite place to be. It's my happy place. And then suddenly he's there. <laughs> yeah. So I, it was, it was, so yeah, so when I was playing football, I actually, you know, in between class and practice, like I would go to lab so I could see Nama. And then like, you know, even during training camp, like, uh, you know, I would, you know, in between our like two days. Like I would just jump up, hop over lab. I knew Nama would be there and laugh and she'd live close by. I was like, oh, let me just go lab and I'll ice my knees and stuff while I was sitting on the couch and lab and then we can talk and, and hang out. So, that's a good one. so I guess that's the craziest thing I've done. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Nama, no stories? <laughs> nothing? <laughs> I really can't think of anything. <laughs> 
That's fine. Dr. Barnes can take that question. (laughs) (laughs) I just got you points, Dr. Barnes. I just got you points there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's a little more broader question. Um, What are your proudest accomplishments or happiest memories? Um, you can name a couple, just one, um, just some that come off the top of your head. Um, I mean, I think for me, you know, uh, I think I like, I like my degrees. I did something. Um, I think, you know, the children, um, you know, the birth of our children was it's like, because as a biophysicist, I, my whole goal is to purify one protein, right? And here I made thousands of human proteins on one baby. And so I can look what I can do. That's nine months and I'm done. This is terrific. How many human proteins I made. <laughs> um, I think that was truly amazing. Um, I think, you know, for me, the, the, the offers to that I was going to have my lab, that was my dream. It's like I always wanted a lab. I just need a lab. I want a lab. And to say that, you know, I was going to do that, I think, was absolutely amazing. And I think something that's ongoing, too, I think, with Christopher is that, you know, we try to build a happy family. And I think it's tough. Like, it's hard work. And I I think one of the proudest things that I think we do is, you know, try really hard to build that happy home. No, yeah, I think that's, that's true. Like, you know, I think the proudest moment is, of course, becoming a dad, and, you know, and so like our first son, I actually delivered our first son, uh, and it was like, you know, that was, you know, a very happy moment, uh, something that, you know, I'll never forget and cherish, uh, you know, and, and watching them grow up is, you know, is really, you know, as a parent, that makes you proud, knowing that, you know, you're raising good humans, um, and that they are, you know, achieving and becoming their own people, uh, and, and doing things that kids do. Um, I think scientifically, uh, yeah, I mean, I think our recent offers, uh, I mean, that's, you know, outside of our degrees, which were, you know, to be able to say you were, we had two kids, we were able to overcome and get our, and didn't give up, you know, which never was a thought, but right, but a lot of people do. Um, and so, I mean, again, that's a victory that you have to say, like, you know, I did persevere, we did persevere, regard degrees in spite of, um, you know, the challenges associated with trying to raise kids. Um, uh, so, I mean, I think that's, that's true, but yeah, but definitely having these offers uh, to be able to start our lab, uh, I mean, that's, that's a huge victory. And I mean, that's something that we don't know. We know is, we know how hard it is to get to that point. Uh, we've had friends that go through a lot, a lot much more difficult times to get there. Um, so yeah, so that's something I'm, we're very happy. Our parents, of course, all of us are very proud, but yeah, to be, to be some of the first, you know, to achieve such an accomplishment is really, really great. No, I'm starting to feel emotional. <laughs> like I'm, I'm about to start crying now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if, if y'all need like a baseball coach for your kids, let me know. Need a graduate student postdoc, let me know. I'm already just like shaking talking to y'all, but now it's more of like, now it's just like, now you're on a pedestal. I'm sorry. <laughs> These are, this is awesome. <laughs> um, so I asked... <laughs> I asked this question in my uh, last episode, uh, but let's say you wake up one morning and you go, all right, this is the day that the data I gather will lead to a publication in like Cell or Nature. You hop in your car to leave and your lab is five minutes away. What song are y'all playing? <laughs> depends on the day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, say, I guess my go-to is a, is a song by Jay Dilla. Um, mm. You know, that's a 
a mix off it of, of one of his albums, the Shining album, uh, called Won't Do. I mean, that's one of my favorite songs. Me and the kids play all the time when we go golfing. Um, so like that's that's one of my happy songs that I, you know when I want to feel pumped, um, I play that. Or I'll play DMX, one of those. <laughs> so, I mean, every once in a while, some DMX jumps in there. The weather hood, uh, weather hood, weather hood. <laughs> some, some of that sometimes jumps in there uh, just to get me pumped. Like if I, you know, if I need to just say I'm, I'm in my zone today, like this is, this is what I play. Uh, I have a very personal relationship with music. Um, for me, I like to put my memories with the current music. So I attach memories to what's current. And so I kind of remember my life chronologically based on music. Uh, so if I was going to do that, I would listen to a new music. So a new song that's on the radio. Uh, but what I would do is I would blast the uh, like a reggaeton or something, you know, hard. <laughs> kind of stick that memory in there, you know, um, just really get the party started and then, you know, park your car and go get to your experiments. Your little shimmy in the car. Yeah, like, yeah, then, you know, get all proper. Pound in your head. <laughs> and then when exactly. that song plays back again, then you know, it's like you were pumped, you got it done. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, bouncing off that question, let's say it was a long day at lab. Uh, maybe your controls weren't working, you had to call it quits. Uh, you decide to go out with your friends and y'all want to do a karaoke night. What song are y'all singing? Yeah, I don't know if we've ever done karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> so we had kids in our 20s. <laughs> we didn't go out karaoke. karaoke. Very fair, very fair. Um... But I always enjoy blasting some kill the killers. Oh man, I love singing some of that songs. Smile, or yeah, some Lady Gaga. Yeah, some I like uh, a Star Is Born stuff, like Shallow. Or... No, no, no. Her no, not that. So. <laughs> oh, gotcha. What are we? What are we talking? You're like just dance, poker. No, you gotta counter the bad mood. You gotta, you gotta pump it up. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Doctor Barnes, what are you going with? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um, I've never seen you sing karaoke. Yeah, I've never sung karaoke. <laughs> no, you've never, you've never like, <laughs> like, just wanted to play a song for the sake of singing it. Like for me and my friends, we're like, yo, play, play a Rihanna song right now. Play Umbrella well, by Rihanna. Yeah, that's a good we'll sing along right now. Yes, yeah. Rihanna. <laughs> no, okay, off the record. <laughs> no, off the record. Off the record. <laughs> off the record. I have sung karaoke once, and I feel ashamed. Oh, that, what was the 80s? No, because it was... R. Kelly, ignition. <laughs> <laughs> That's off the record. <laughs> but um, uh, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, anything to get you, you know, get me going. Again, I listen to a lot of rap. Uh, yeah. You know, so I mean, if, if I'm out and I need to hear a song to get me going, I know I'm going to get up and dance. Then it's juvenile. Uh, I mean, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, telling our age. <laughs> That's probably one song I, I know every lyric of. <laughs> cool. That could sing out. <laughs> yeah. Have y'all hit that Disney stage yet as a family where you're watching like Disney movies with your kids yet? Or how old are they? They, uh, they did Paw Patrol for a long time and that was excruciating. <laughs> Have you seen Paw Patrol? Yeah, I have seen Paw Patrol. A bunch of puppies yeah. with jobs. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have we have um, you know, we have Disney Plus, but I think you know they 
they are more in tune to superheroes. I mean, the Avengers, we've seen all the Avengers. Uh, okay. All the so, I mean, at least that's part, you know, that we can enjoy it as well. Uh, but luckily, yeah, we haven't had to do too much, like, Disney, Disney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah. one of the weird things, though, is when your kids start liking shows that you watched as a your kid. Like, yeah. they started watching Pokemon, and that was weird. I was like, <laughs> oh, I watched I bet. Um, yeah, and yeah. Dragon, Dragon Ball Z. Z. Yeah. Dragon like, Ball Z. Yeah. It's like we're enjoying this together. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched all the Dragon Ball Zs. Yeah, uh, yeah that's so awesome. Think, that's awesome. Yeah, when your child something that you've created likes things that you liked as a child, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I can't relate, but <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Um, that's all the questions I had for you. Um, I really just appreciate and i'm so grateful to have had this conversation i feel like these discussions are needed in stem and science and i'm just also really happy that i met the two of you i uh, not in person obviously but virtually you know <laughs> it, it's yeah. nice it's honestly nice it's, it's reinvigorating hearing um that people that are just a little bit older than me and are pursuing things i want to pursue are people too you know like i hear my mentor talk about um you know, these wild stories in graduate school that he experienced. And I'm like, I don't want to experience that. So <laughs> I, I'm really, really hopeful for graduate school. And I can't thank you two enough for um, being a part of this and being a part of this project. And honestly, like being a part of my life now, right? Because, you know, I just, you, you talked about superheroes, role models, and I don't want to be cheesy at all. I, <laughs> I'm a cheesy person. I don't mean to be cheesy, but no, I, I think that I found two great role models in you and oh. kind of like superheroes, right? So. Thank well, you so much. And you can do anything you want. You can. You really can. So you have so many <laughs> options. Yeah. Good luck finding one that makes you happy, you know? Yeah. yeah. Are you applying this year? Are you applying this fall? Yeah. Um, I'm looking at Oregon, Washington, Utah, Colorado, Boulder, schools mm -hmm. like that. Um, my mentor said to kind of look for schools that have supportive environments, especially mm -hmm. since Occidental is pretty supportive. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Up it's in the fun. Air. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Sounds like it. Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I and yeah, I and like I say, and even yeah, go have those support environments. But just know, like, and I think that's what I'm finding out too, is that you know your support environment is not just at where you're at. I mean, you right. just in discussions like this. I think now the pandemic, the good thing that's come out of this pandemic is Zoom and these FaceTime type meetings. So like now, you know, you can call and say, "Hey, buddies, I'm having a tough day. Let's jump on and just you know talk it out." Uh, same with us. I mean, if you, you know, when you get to graduate school and you say, hey, I, I ran into this issue, you know, how do you think I should navigate it or something? I mean, you have a support system now where you can reach out uh, and talk. So don't just feel like you're isolated one place like I did. Like you're, this is, you know, a large country and you can, you can find support everywhere. And, and I mean, that goes yeah. to your listeners too, you know, like they can also reach out and they can reach out to a lot of people. They're yeah. really willing to help. Well, Thanks so much. Um, I hope you two have a wonderful rest of your day. Again, congratulations on Stanford. I think that was awesome. When I saw that on Twitter, I was like, no freaking way. This is so cool. Like, I didn't even know y'all at the time. And I was like, good for them. Like, I, I feel I feel that. I feel it for them. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah, yeah next summer, we'll, we'll get started. So, yeah. It's nice meeting you. Yeah, same. And yeah. yeah, enjoy and yeah hope hopefully meet i'll meet you one day meet both of you one day <laughs> <laughs> i'll just road trip up to stanford <laughs> yeah definitely strawberry lipstick state of mind
That concludes this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Up next, we have Amanda Finn, who is an undergraduate at Cal State University, Long Beach. She has a very unique perspective and is actually from my high school. Stay tuned for more and don't forget to follow From Where Does It Stem on Instagram and Twitter.